Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. You guys excited about it? Looking forward to it? I hope so. You know, uh, just wanted to kind of start off the new year by kind of going over our values. Our values and the vision and the mission of the church. And when I think about, when I think about these things, when you think about the values and the vision and, and all these things, it really comes down to what, what's inspiring us, what is causing us to be who we are. And in a world that we're constantly being torn at, I mean, being pulled at, being challenged by, about what we believe, about our convictions, about what we want to hold on to, and we find ourselves, I think, fighting on a battleground that we didn't choose. And we're fighting by rules that we don't know how to fight by. And I believe if we can get back to our values, we can get back to the heart of God, we can get back to the mind of Christ, we can win the battle because we're not going to fight it in our own strength or in our own mentality or what we think and our pragmatism, and, you know, but we're going to fight it in the spirit and we're going to fight it in the power of God. And so this, the first thing I want to look at and I want, to, I want you guys to think about is values. What are our values as a church? Oh no, I think you got the wrong PowerPoint. Um, you do have the wrong PowerPoint. Um, <laughs> but the thing I want us to look at, the values, and that, what I want to define that as is the treasure of our hearts. Values as the treasures of our heart. And I want you to think about this. I heard this years ago, and it always stuck with me. And I want to ask you guys a question. What made Superman a hero? What made Superman a hero? Uh, what makes Captain America a hero? Thank you. Thank you. Again, we can look at, oh, they fly. He's superhuman. He bulletproof, right? All these things. But you're right. He, he took his power and he took his abilities. He took his gifts. He took his talents and he served other people with it. That's what makes a hero, right? We see it today. What makes a, a serviceman a hero? They are serving. They serve. What makes a politician a hero? They serve. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but they're supposed to serve, right? They're supposed to serve. And when they lose that service, they begin to serve themselves, then everything is an error. And it's the same thing for us. When we lose our values, when we lose our passion, when we lose the treasure of our heart, and I want you to think about that. When you came to Christ, and I hope you had that moment, when you came to Christ, what was in your heart? What did you want to see more than anything else? It was God-centered. It was a God-centered dream. I'll tell you that right now. And it was a God-centered passion. But as the waves of time hit you, as the trials of life hit you, so often those dreams get what? They get put out. And those passions get kind of diminished. They get tempered. But I want you to see something. When we look at God's values, it's very basic. Why would God send his son? He tells us in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And if I was to ask you, what's God's value? What's his value? Well, it's love. It's a love that gives. It's a love that serves. It's a love that sacrifices. And if we are to get back to our values, this is the path. It's service and it's sacrifice. 
It's, gonna, it's the same thing in your marriage. It's the same thing with your children. It's the same thing in your ministry. It's going to be service and sacrifice. These are the God's values. And here's my thing about our values. We can be so unique. We can make them servant's church values. No, I want the heart of God for us. This is, I believe, this is where the victory is. When we begin to have the heart of God within us for the passions that he's given us. For the passions that he's given us. But the value, the value has to remain the same. And I remember as a young man, you know, we'd go out street evangelizing. We'd go out every Friday night. We'd go to Christian concerts to bring our non-Christian friends. We'd invite people to harvest on Sunday nights to come with us, to go hear the gospel. Why? This was our value. We loved people, and we wanted to see people get saved. And I believe, and this is, the, this is our theme verse as a church. It's Mark 10, 45, and can't read it to us this morning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. This is our value. This is how we communicate our value. We are not coming to be served, but we're coming to serve. And that's one thing, I really believe this. I don't know if you guys have ever told you this story. I really wanted to add to Calvary Fallbrook's name, and, um, and I wanted it to be something that would, that would help us communicate our heart to the, to the community. Not to come and just study the Bible, but to come and study the Bible, take what we learn, and go live it out in the community. And, and the thing about it, I wanted it to be great. I think greatness is a great thing to aspire to. But not greatness in the world, but greatness in the kingdom. And that greatness is what? Who is the greatest in the kingdom, guys? The servant of all. That's who the greatest is. So there has to be this value within us that I don't put myself first, but I put myself last. Do you, do you understand when Jesus says that? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Well, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you put yourself last? See, I saw my grandmother do it my whole life. She put everybody before herself. And I almost thought, well, that's your job. You're a grandma, right? That's what grandmothers do. They put everybody first. But her value came from what Jesus taught. And she applied it. We put other people's needs before our own. We don't put our needs above others. We don't put our wants above others. You know, anytime I do marriage counseling, I always ask the couple, uh, what, are your par- what are your partner's needs? Well, she wants and he wants. I didn't say want. I said need. What do they need? And it's almost like I'm speaking another language to them. Because we always define ourselves by what we want. And we neglect what we need. And I, when I look at this in our, as a value, as a treasure of my heart, that I want to live out this reality of putting others before myself, what would that look like in our lives? What would that look like on the freeway? What would that look like at the grocery store? What would that look like in a parking lot? At a game? Oh my gosh. Think about just in, in these little ways. If we were to really consider, I want to be last. I want you to be first. I want you to win. I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, triathlon. Two brothers. Two brothers are running it. The brother 
The one brother gets really close to the finish line within 100 yards, and his body breaks down. His legs start going spaghetti. Um, he's, he's just trying to, trying to get to the finish line, and here comes his brother. Now, if it was Peter and John, we all know, John would have been like, see you later, Peter. I'm getting to the tomb first, right? But not this brother. He stops, and he grabs his brother, and he carries him to the finish line, and he lets him finish first. That's what I'm talking about. That we put others first by acts of service. By acts of service. And, and, and that, cause what? Because that's the value. And I believe this again, to be a hero, to be heroic, is to take the talents God has given you, whether it, whether it be you know, irrigation or finance or fixing things or whatever, and we take these talents and we use them. I just, read, just read, heard this phrase and it stuck with me, the theology of work, and we take these gifts and these talents and we, we apply them to these values that we have, that we love the world too. Why? Because God does. God loves this world. Why? I don't know. But he loves this world sacrificially. He loves this world to, to the greatest expense you can imagine. He loves this world. We can't deny it. He loves this world. And here's the thing. I was telling a man of this. There was an advertisement the other day. And it was for a, a pet food. It really irritated me. And it was a joke, but it really irritated me. I see this happening more and more in the world. It says, we don't test on animals, we test on humans. And I said, babe, they begin to dehumanize us and humanize animals. They dehumanize the unborn, dehumanize them completely, and they humanize my dog. And I, it's so, do you see... That's what they value. And so we live our values. And we say, no, we love the unborn. We love our grammar school children. We love our high school campus. But we love. And I think in this world that's so combative, we've lost that. We've become angry. We've become frustrated. And we've lost the value of loving the world. And we got to get it back. But in the right context. In the right context to be right with God. Right? That's our value. This is our thing. And we got to get it back and communicate it. How? The way God did. And I would have, that'd be my challenge to you. How are you going to communicate God's love to the world? I would say there's a lot of examples in the Bible. Jesus is the supreme. And we got to get back to this value of God loving the world by what? Putting other people ahead of ourselves. It works great in marriage, doesn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a, a when, you, when you get into that rhythm with your spouse, it's almost like you're trying to outdo each other, serving each other. And it's the most simple thing. It's just, for me, my, my marriage, it was getting up and going to the kitchen going, hey, babe, do you want anything? 
And she's just, you know why? Because for years I never asked. I went, got my water, and sat back down, and she would just look at me. And I'd be like, what did I do? Like, what did I do? What did I do? I just got up. I went and got some water. I mean, what did I do? You don't know what you did? No, I don't know what I did. What did I do? You, oh, you know, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Well, if you don't tell me, I'm not going to know, right? <laughs> and, but then I followed her example. Because every time she gets up, she asks everybody, anybody want anything? I'm thinking, I just thought that's, again, that's mom's job, right? But when you pay it back, and think about that again with your colleagues at work, with friends, you know, in your small group. But again, it has to come back down to this value of love and this value of service and this value of putting other people ahead of yourself because that's what the scripture has taught us. The last will be first and the first will be last. And we apply, I'll just put you ahead of myself. There's the easy way. And most relationships fall into shambles because one, one of the people is putting themselves ahead of the other, Right? Their needs, their wants, their desires, their dreams, their aspirations are more important than his or hers or theirs. And that's when things go awry. But when we come back to these basic things of what we value, I'm going to take what I have and serve others. Our lives become, I, I, it sounds pretentious, but almost heroic. I look at my grandmother, I'll be honest with you, she is a hero of mine. She never, I don't think she ever left. Once she settled in East Highlands there in Redlands, I don't know if she ever left the little village for 50 years. But man, she was amazing. And so this is the value we have, to love the world the way God does and to express it the way he's made us to be. And as we put other people ahead of ourselves, right, our spouse is starting at home, Starting with your friends, starting with your kids, your grandkids. You know, oh my gosh. I was talking to my buddy. His mom's like, why don't one of the grandkids come see me? One of the grandkids call me. They don't, they don't respect me. They don't, and my friend goes, mom, they love you, but they're teenagers. Remember what it's like being a teenager? She's like, wow. And he goes, you should follow the example of my wife's mother. <gasps> Yeah, you want to pick a fight? Say those things. And he goes, she invites the kids out to lunch. She goes and picks them up from school and takes them out. She calls them up and makes dates with them. And they're so excited. Maybe you should try that. You know what her reply was? They should call me. So do you ever think those things happened? No. Was she putting them first? No. She was putting herself first. And relationship is stagnant. So again, there's examples of people that do it God's way and there's, there's fruit and then we do it our way and there's alienation. The next thing we have to look at is vision and, and I think this is interesting. And I want to I define it this way. Seeing the kingdom of God in our town and in our world. If we want to have a vision for what is possible when, you, we, when the kingdom of God comes into a youth group, into a church, into our marriages, you know, the Lord tells us to pray, what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This should be something we're conscious of. Something, again, that's in our hearts. And we all know the verse of Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. 
I got the King James Version here. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Then ASB says this way, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is the one who keeps the law. Now keep that in mind. Now the Message Bible. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I love that. I love that. Because the thing about it is, I, when I look at this idea of a vision, and, and again, where we're going and what we're doing, I, I truly believe this. It's like, I want to know what God wants me to do, and I simply want to do it. It's, it's just that simple. Now, here's the thing about it. This is, I think, where we get distracted and discouraged. Some of us get a passion. Some, I mean, in our church, we've had a number of people tell me, I want, we need to go door to door. We need to start going door to door and taking tracks. And know what I say? I'll get you the tracks. Go for it. But I want the whole church to come. The whole church ain't coming. But I, we got to tell them, we got to rally. We got to get everybody involved. Uh, how about we invite everybody? Anybody that wants to come, they're called. It's a gift, man. I don't know if you've ever done it. Going door to door, it's a gift. Preaching on the street corner, it's a gift. It's a gift. Junior high ministry, it's a gift. It's a call. I was never called to that. I tried. It didn't work out well for me or the kids. I think they're still going through counseling. You know, it just was not a good combination. But we get these passions, right? And we want everybody to feel like we do. Not everybody's going to feel like you do. That's the vision God has given you. And you got to do it. And do it with all the gusto and passion and zealousness. And you pray for more helpers. And you pray for more helpers. But you do it. You don't wait. I love what he says. like the message. But when, we, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. If we're waiting for people to join us, to join us and get ex- as excited as we are, you're never going to do anything. Man, it's, when God reveals, we go. And the thing about it is, when we don't know what God reveals, we stumble all over each other. We try to make things happen. We try to make things happen. We try to conjure it up and motivate and get people all, and we'll pour tons of money into it. But if God's not in it, who cares? See, the vision we have to have is seeing what God is doing. And again, and I want to emphasize this again. It's going to be, it's going to really come down to a certain group of people, maybe even an individual. I mean, I love, uh, I think it's Dorcas in the Bible, where she was known for her good works and she would make things for the body. Does she wait for anybody? No. She did what God called her to do. If you want to start a prayer meeting, go start praying. But go do it. Don't wait. Well, they're just not on fire. Maybe you're just being disobedient. Has nothing to do with anybody else. Right? It's what the vision is what God has done or what God wants to do. Helen Keller said this, what I thought was ironic. The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. And sometimes we want to do things for the wrong motivation, for the wrong reason. 
We want to do them to get attention. We want to do them to be validated. We want to do them to be recognized. Don't. Don't do that. If the Lord's calling you to do it, you do it. And you do it for the Lord, and you do it for his glory, and you do it out of obedience, and that should be enough. That has to be enough. Because the Lord sees and he rewards. That's what the Lord says. That's what the word says. So here's like, here's the vision. The vision is, man, I, I just think about this. The vision would be that we would be the type of people that would get a hold of who God's called us to be, who we are, and we just live it out. We just live it out. And we'd be passionate about it. And we'd be obedient in it. And if you need help, pray. God will send helpers. I remember talking to Mike Negla. He's going to be here in a couple weeks. He's going to teach. He'll be blessed. But Mike was talking a couple years back. I think he spoke at the old building. But he said that the laws in Ireland were changing and they needed, um, they needed an accountant, like a real accountant, not Mike doing the accounting, and they needed a lawyer, and he knew none. So you know what Mike started doing? He started praying, God, send us an accountant. Lord, send us a lawyer. They baptized three people that year, or that, that month. Guess what? Out of the three people, one was an accountant, and one was a lawyer. And he was like, praise the Lord. He answered, God will answer your prayers too. But don't do it in the flesh. Pray about it and, see, and pray and seek the Lord's will. But I want to ask you again, what is God calling you to do? What is the vision for your life? What is God calling you to do? You ever thought about it? Well, he, you're not retiring. See, in the kingdom of God, you don't retire. I hate to tell you guys that. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. What's God calling you to do? Are you doing it? Well, I'm waiting I'm waiting for, for, I say, again, if you're just kind of fumbling and you're frustrated, I just don't think you have that vision. I don't think you know what God wants you to do yet. Seek him. Ask your friends. If you don't know what your talents are, your friends do. I'll tell you that right now. They see them. They're so, so obvious to them, which is so not obvious to you. But again, we get back on the horse and we, we go forward. The last thing I want us to think about is the mission. Mission, and that's catching God's wave. For you surfers, I never surfed in my life. I tried it. Hurt myself. Won't do it again. <laughs> but we just want to catch that wave. We want to ride it. We want to find what God's doing. We want to get that vision for what God's doing, and we want to do it. But that would be our mission. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love this Chinese proverb. Oh, man. It says, if your vision is for a year, plant wheat. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. If your vision is for a lifetime, plant people. We want people. You know, I'm not lying. This is so crazy. Since we've been here, do you know any people have started coming to our church from this neighborhood behind us? Just, they just see it and they're like, oh, we'll try church. And then they stick, right? Some people just saw the need. 
But I want us to see something. We value people. Money is a tool. Things are tools. People are what Christ died for. All shapes and ages and colors. He loves them all. And so do we. And we want to see people. People. Because, and I want us to see it in this way. And this is where I really believe this. Where we value people. We value people. And so as an individual, we want to share our faith in the ways God has gifted each one of us to share. That's, again, evangelizing, sharing, going out. But the other thing I want us to do too is as a church to begin to pray for our children that they would come to faith. Just because the child's in Sunday school does not mean they're coming to faith. Just because they're in high school and junior high does not mean they're Christian kids. The one thing I had a problem with, I was at, I served at a big church for a long time. And what, this is driving me nuts. But you know what parents would tell me? They wanted their kids to act like Christians. And I, do you hear yourself? What? We want them to be good kids. Yeah, whatever. I want them to get saved. Well, of course. But that's not what you value. You value them acting in a certain way. You want them to talk in a certain way and to carry a certain Bible. I want them to know Jesus. And I don't know, we all get there in our own roads, right? Every one of us in this room, if we were to share our testimony, none of us came. Some of you, one of you is lucky enough that had, was raised in Sunday school and you've walked with God your whole life. Praise the Lord. Then there's the rest of us, right? Right? And there's a lot of twists and turns and valleys, right? And yet we came to the cross. That's our goal. That's our mission is salvation. We're not here for acting classes. I'm not here to teach anybody how to act like a Christian. I want to show everybody who the Savior is, and that's Jesus Christ. And the thing about it here is the other thing. So we want to, we want to um, on one level, we want to, on a very individualistic basis, be able to share our faith with our neighbors and those around us and our colleagues and, and invite people. And again, pray for how God would have you share. Don't, you're not Billy Graham, you're not Greg Laurie. That's okay, but you're you. I, like, I always like what Pastor Pat says. You have a story, share it. Your story is so potent and powerful. You know why? It's drenched with God. It's drenched with God. You don't even realize it because you see all your mistakes. You see all your failings. You see all the things you've done wrong. But when you share your story, how God is your redeemer, He's your redeemer. He's your redeemer. He's your savior. People don't, they're looking at you and they hear your mistakes. They're like, yeah, yeah, so do I. But tell me more about God. What what did God do? And we share this story with people, even with our kids. We share how God has redeemed. I was praying this morning for both of my kids. Oh, Lord, that they would live before you, that they would know you the way I do, that they would know the power of your salvation, how you saved me, Lord. That's what I want for my children. Oh, God, make it so. And here's the other thing. I believe as we touch our homes and we touch our communities, I do believe this. Then we're going to want to touch the world at the larger. And that's one thing God put on my heart this year. And I talked to Dave Hunt. He's on the board. You know, Dave comes and he, he shares here. He's a missionary in Africa. T and uh, went to his daughter. You see them here 
around our church. But I said, Dave, I want to I wanna get back on the field, man. The church, this church has done some crazy things. This is a small church, but it's powerful, man. They've, they've touched the world. We want to get back out and start doing it again. And he's all, all right. So we have these meetings. And I go, how do you want to start? He goes, prayer. We're just going to start praying. And I went, hmm, great foundation. Great foundation. So they started praying. We're, we're still praying. But we want to, we want to, we want to, he goes, all I want to know is what God wants us to do. Again, catching the wave, catching the vision. And then we're going to do it. So, I mean, if you, I mean, if that's one thing you want to do, then I say be part of the missions prayer team. But another area of us church is discipleship. Now, here's a big one. Our lifestyle groups. I'm telling you right now, more discipleship happens there than you realize. The sharing of our lives with each other, what God has taught us, what God has revealed to us, how God has encouraged us, how God has picked us up, how God has got us through hard times. That's discipleship. Do you see it? These are the lessons that God has revealed and wrought with time and hardship and tears. And you're learning from your brothers and sisters, and they're learning from you. I've learned so, I get so encouraged from my small group. A lot of laughs. Probably laugh too much. I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I always tell them, you guys are worse than my high school kids. They, the way they start talking and laughing and them giggling, and I'm like, enough. Come back now. We're going to start doing these questions again. But they love each other passionately. And here's, and here's other things, guys. If you're thinking, ah, last saw group's not my thing, we have women's studies. We have prayer groups. We have another men's group starting up here at the end of the month on Tuesday nights. And I, again, be part of something other than just Sunday morning. Because this is where discipleship happens, where you're held accountable. And again, not, hey, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? List your sins to me. No. It's, hey, man, we love you. Where have you been? How can we pray for you? If you miss, someone's going to call. If you miss Thursday morning, I'm always texting. Hey, where are you at? We missed you. You okay? <laughs> that's just what I do. But that's the thing. If your kids aren't involved in youth group, get them involved. Encourage them to go. Encourage them to go to camp. That's what changed my life. Camp. Youth group. But these are how we disciple people. This is how people grow in their faith. This is how people learn to read the word. This is how people learn to pray. Believe me, when you're in a prayer group, you learn to pray real quick. Real quick. You learn hear other people expressing their heart to God, and you begin doing the same thing. So I want to really encourage you guys with these things. And here's the thing too, guys, and it's Jeremiah 29. And when he's talking to those exiled in Babylon, and he tells them, bless, pray for the city you're in. Pray for the city you're in. Bless it. Plant vineyards and grow. You know, if this is where you are, this is where God wants you to be. I believe that with my whole heart. And we can't be antagonistic all the time. We've got to seek the welfare. The welfare of our neighbors and the welfare so pray for our high school. Pray for our grammar schools. Pray for our junior highs here in Fallbrook. And Bonzo and Toulouse. Pray for them. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I look at news feeds and, you know, when I'm on, like, 
you know, social media and stuff, Christians are sometimes the most negative people on there. Always criticizing, always putting down, always making fun of, doing exactly what Paul told us not to do, making fun of officials, mocking them. And I'm thinking, you know, just take, the, I, take off of your ID, Christian. Just put that away, bro, because you're not being one right now. You're, you are shaming the name of Christ, the one you say you're fighting for. You're not. You're disobeying the word blatantly. Blatantly. You might as well just go out and get drunk and talk like a fool like that because that's what you look like. Think twice before you start to rip on officials and you disobey what the scripture says. Right? Because that's what you're doing. And I see it, and it's the most negative. And I look at Jeremiah telling the exiles in Babylon, hey, pray for its welfare. The people that conquered us? The people that tore us out of our homes and burned our temple and destroyed our walls? You want us to pray for their welfare? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Bless them. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? That's the heart of Christ. And I believe that's one of our missions as a church, to get that back. That we take the high ground again. And we fight with the weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but spiritual. Grace, mercy, and love. Patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Oh man, what a powerful church that would be. So again, let the value of God's heart get back into ours. Two hearts beating as one. His heart and our heart beating as one. To love and to bless, to forgive and to serve, to catch the vision for what he has for me in my own life and then to do it and to get into the mission of you know, evangelizing and discipleship and serving. Because these are the things that make any church healthy. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father, I just want to thank you for this time. And I pray you meet us at your table now. Lord, again, touch our hearts.